0: It's good to see you guys on a Friday night. I'm glad to to be here with you. Hopefully you guys had a good day. Not so busy, not so stressful. Maybe it was. But I pray that throughout this day, you've been able to contemplate and reflect on what this day means and what it is. Good Friday. And we've, we've talked many times before here why we call it Good Friday. Because in fact, although something very difficult happened on this day, It was very good. The outcome of it was very good for all of us. Tonight, I just want to share a message with you that has just been burning on my heart. And, you know, um, I want you to stop and think about this. In in all of the scriptures, if we look at the gospel, the New Testament, the, the four books that's there that records the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the gospels, the passion week, the last week of his life occupies approximately one-third of the Gospels. You know, he lived 33 years, yet for one week of his life, One third of the Gospels are dedicated to that time period. With careful attention, that last week of Jesus' life and ministry has been memorialized for us. And as the Gospel writers share their perspectives, we get more and more nuances and details and layers of supporting information that just paints us such a rich picture into history. Into history so much of what we can see and meditate on is there in those last days of Christ from the last supper's teachings to the final sayings on the cross we have so much richness there so much that brings us hope and assurance amen there's so much that i can meditate on and i'm you know contemplate over it when we come especially to this time of year yet tonight this good friday my desire is for me to share with you to focus on what is missing on that day. I wanna focus our time together and look at the miracle that did not take place on that Good Friday so many years ago. Have you ever celebrated something not happening? You know i've you know I'm, I'm i know that something negative is going to happen to me and then you know i remember when i was a kid one time my mom told me to go outside get a switch go get a branch because that was the way we used to do it back then all right i i did not behave right and so she said go outside get a branch and bring it home take out all the extra little branches all right and please don't look at my mom any other way she's she's a great lady okay but she was doing her best and I was doing my best. And, and let me redeem her in this story. Here's the deal. As she, as she told me to go outside, she's making dinner. I, I bring her the switch. She tells, go to your bedroom. And wait, I'm coming. You wait, I'm coming. I went in my bedroom, and I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, please. Please, Lord. Please don't let this happen. Please. And so as I laid there under my covers and I'm praying to Jesus, you know what? I fell asleep and she never came. I think it was enough for me to just live under the weight of the knowledge that I was going to get a spanking and I was going to be disciplined. And you know what? It was very rare and seldom that that ever happened. And I learned my lessons. But, you know, when we have these negative things that are going to happen to us, we we, we long for it not to happen. We wish things would not happen. But what about when we know that something has to happen and something can be done for it not to happen? How many of us in those moments do we wish for something not to happen? Now, if I have it within my power and control, then I'm going to make sure that it does happen so that I get out of this difficulty and challenge. And so tonight, I want us to stop and think about this and just turn to your neighbor and say this to your neighbor, I'm happy to miss this miracle. Go ahead and turn to your other neighbor, the one you neglected the second time, and just say this, say to them, you don't want this miracle. You don't want this miracle. Tonight, I want you to turn to Matthew's gospel and go to the chapter 26. And as you turn to Matthew 26, let me set the scene for you. We find ourselves in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas, one of the infamous 12 disciples of Jesus Christ, he's come with a great entourage of made men. These are connected men. These are men of power. And these guys come bearing weapons and the authority of the high priest. Their intentions as they approach Jesus are less than amicable and they're less than admirable altogether. This night, the religious opposition are going to find their quarry. These guys, this night, would finally strike this countercultural shepherd and they would disband his movement. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. This night, they would defeat the thorn at their side, this Jesus of Nazareth. As the hands clamp down around Jesus Christ, a glint of a sword is seen and all of a sudden, One of the disciples who's there, they say, no matter what's going to happen tonight, no matter what lays in store for us, I will not go quietly into that good night. But you know what? I will make sure that my opposition is felt and heard. And so that one disciple picks up a sword. A man is smitten, a ear is lost, and the tension is ripe. Can you kind of picture what's going on? Do you see yourself in that story there? Can you find yourself as a fly on that wall, kind of hanging out and seeing? So let's read here in verse, starting in verse 52, Matthew 26. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Side note, for all of you guys who are like me, who are now just considering the fact that there is some dude's ear on the floor. Okay, There was a flash of a sword, someone's ear got chopped off, and it's on the floor. What's going on? Dr. Luke tells us that Jesus reaches down, grabs that man's ear, and he touches that man's head, and he heals him, makes him whole once again. But that's not the focus of our story here tonight, but I just wanted to let let you know that in case you're like me and you can't refocus because there's an ear on the floor. Okay? Look at verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels, but how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Friends, tonight I want you to look at this passage, and I like to propose to you the fact that the missing miracle of Good Friday has in fact facilitated a greater miracle for human history. The missing miracle in Good Friday has facilitated a greater miracle for human history. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the details that are found within your scriptures. That, Lord, speak life and liberty and future and promise into our hearts and lives. Father, we thank you and invite your presence here today. Amen. I want you to consider with me here the fact that we have a question. And I've said it before. Whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not that he's trying to gather information. It's always for thought provocation. Jesus is the one who knows the end from the beginning. And he's asking a question because he wants to reframe our focus. He wants us to just pay attention. Usually when he asks a question, that means that we miss the lesson. He asks the question because there's something that he's already shared or said. And we are at a place where we did not connect the dots. And so here Jesus shows up and he talks to them, he's saying, do you think that I could not appeal to my father? As the adversaries close in around him, Jesus takes a moment to reassure and recalibrate his disciples. He takes a moment to put things within context. Do you consider me to be defenseless and without recourse at this very moment? As this angry mob has come around me, do you feel like I have no actions which I can take? Do you look at me in this moment and feel like I can't do anything about this? Come on, guys. Have you forgotten already? Have you forgotten already? Have have we not spent all this time together? Guys, focus. Haven't you seen time and time again that there is no measure of adversity? There is no anxiety, no confusion. There is no distress or hostility. There is nothing that could ever sever us from the great resource that is prayer. There is no height nor not even death itself. No circumstance is beyond its reach. Remember with me, guys, let's think back just a few days ago. Let's think back just a little while ago. We were going around to Bethany and going around to different places. We've seen this time and time again. Jairus' daughter was there and there was an issue. There was a procession of a funeral that was there. Not even death is beyond my words and my prayers. Remember when I came before Lazarus and he had been four days in that tomb dead Gone. And what did I do in that moment, guys? Think back. What did I do in that instance? And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. There is no adversity, there is no circumstance that's beyond the reach of our Heavenly Father and the access we have to Him through prayer. There is no circumstance beyond that reach. What can I do in the face of this malice-filled mob? What can I do right now? I can pray to my Father. And I love the fact that He said, Father... He said, Father. He didn't say, I can pray to Jehovah. I can pray to El Shaddai. I can pray to Jehovah Nissi. I can pray to, to Jehovah Sekenu, my banner. I can pray to all these different, my righteousness. I can pray to all these different names of God. No, he said, I can pray to my Father. My Father, who has made me feel loved. As Edie was sharing, my father who is for me and not against me, who has chased chased me and brought me fulfillment and satisfied every. My father, you know, I I stop and I contemplate my boy. My boy is not in want for anything. He wakes up, he's happy. He 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 wants something. He just says, "Hey, daddy, go buy it." It's, It's that's it. It's like, I, don't, I have Chase, Marshall, Rubble. These are all Paw Patrol characters, right? Little dogs. He's like, Daddy, go buy me Rocky's car. That's the next one that he wants. And, and there is not a thought in his mind that I won't be able to go do that. He is not in want for anything. He just sits in and, and, and lives in that relationship. He's not coming to me in some formal capacity. He's coming to me through relational intimacy. Hey, Dad. I got this situation that's way beyond my means. I got this situation that's way beyond my comprehension. I got this situation, Dad, right here before me that is way too desperate and adverse. Things are hostile right now. Things are dangerous right now. Dad, I need to talk to you. Jesus knew he could approach him. And he knew, as John 14, 18 says, he shall not leave us orphaned, but he will surely come. The Father who is there is able to be present. And maybe someone here tonight, you just need to be reminded that, you know what? You plus God, you equal a majority. You plus God, you're a majority. And so no matter what is going on, no matter who is coming around you, it could be a mass and a crowd and a mob. It could be a flash mob that showed up out of nowhere and they just want your demise. There is you plus God. You are overwhelming them because he is with you. No matter the situation, you're not alone, nor are you outnumbered. You're one prayer away from such incredible power, grace, mercy, resource, wisdom, understanding, provision, opportunity. You're one prayer away from all of God's incredible resources. It's right there. Jesus, on that Good Friday, I want you to just capture this. As the mob came around him. He's in that garden. He knows what lies in store and what lies ahead for him. On that Good Friday, nothing had changed. Nothing was altered. The relationship was still intact. The connection was secure. At that very moment, Jesus could have cried out a prayer to his heavenly father. At that very moment, he could have phoned his friend. He could have phoned his dad. And things would have been completely tipped in terms of the scale. The tension that was mounted against Jesus could have been completely reverted back to the mob that had come to arrest him. In that one moment, Jesus could have changed everything. And so the first thing that I want you to understand this Good Friday is that on Good Friday so many years ago, the first thing that was missing was a prayer. The first miracle missing in Good Friday was the prayer of Jesus to his father. That's the first thing. But I want you to look further with me, verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? The second missing detail of Good Friday is the fact that there is not one single angel in sight. I want you to stop and consider this, because this is an incredible fact here. Jesus says he could send more than 12 legions. Hey, he could have sent a legion for each one of us disciples, one for me and the 11 others that are here, and then plus some if he wanted to. If you look from the context of of that word legion, it's a military word. From uh, the context of the Roman military, a legion was comprised of 6,000 troops by many commentators estimates. By another commentator, it could be as many as 12,000 troops. So stop and think about this for a second. When Jesus says that, hey guys, wait, hold the phone, relax. There's this, all these people surrounding me and they got swords and clubs and they have negative intentions. They do not wish my well-being. I could call down twelve plus legions let's do some math here 6,000 times 12 is 72,000 okay 72,000 angels hey Judas how many people in your entourage you got 72,000 hey Judas how many people are with you I know the high priest maybe he counts for like 100 people because of his authority okay but how many do you have with you Judas is it less than 72,000 Oh, and here's one more detail. If we go back into the Old Testament and we're reading the scriptures, there's this incredible text back there that talks about how at one moment in time, 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, we find that God had dispatched one angel. He decided that, you know what, the the, the people of Judah, the nation of Judah was under attack and they were being besieged by the Assyrians. And in that moment, God decided to send deliverance for them. So he dispatches one angel to go deal with this issue. And it says in 2 Kings 19 that that night, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. Whoa. Let's put this into context then. If you can dispatch 12 legions, 12 times 6, uh, 6 that, that, that's a lot, right? 6,000, 72,000. One angel can weigh, <laughs> lay to waste 185,000. If you guys start doing the math, Jesus could have dispatched, God could have dispatched angels that would have completely annihilated the entire population of the earth at that time. I think that the threat before Jesus is very well under control. And stop and think about this for a second. He is the darling of heaven crucified. Right? If you stop and think about this, he is the one and only begotten son of the Father. The one who was with them since time began, before time began. Imagine the angels who have waited upon him time and time again. We see the angels coming and ministering to him after his temptation. We see all these things. These angels are probably looking up down from heaven and they are like, oh my God, say, come on, God, no way. Are you, did they just do that? Did they touch him? Are you kidding me right now? How dare Do do you know? You know, It's like the only time that that statement is ever validated. Do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who you're touching? Do you know what you're doing that against? These angels were ready. God, please say the word. I got my my weapons ready. I I don't even need a weapon. I can take care of this with my pinky finger. I, I got this. So stop and think about the fact that when Jesus is there before all of these men, He is under threat. He is under attack. He's being manhandled by these people who are taking him and have plans for his demise. Jesus says this, guys, I can call down angels. I can call them down. But yet he chose not to. See, it's not virtuous for us to to, to abstain from doing something that we do not possess from giving something away which we do not own. It's not virtuous to do that, but virtue, as Jesus demonstrated, was having a sword at his side and then not using it. Virtue was Jesus saying, hey, I got a sword, and my sword can do way more than yours, but let me put it back in its sheath. See, when Jesus said this, guys, I can call down angels. Relax. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he became obedient. He humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death and death on a cross. Jesus said, you know what? I know what it means to have power, and I know what self-restraint is. I'm going to choose not to use it. See, that might be a lesson in here for me. I'm not even going to say for us, I'm going to say for me, because sometimes I have the authority and the power to do something, and you know what, I, I would have been better off not having that authority because I misuse it. When I deal with a neighbor or a colleague, or, or when I deal with, with, with a person who does not yet know Jesus, I wonder, do I yield my sword when I should really be yielding my love? Am I so concerned about, you know, putting that person in his or her place or, you know what, defending the faith and I do so without love. And so, you know what, Jesus shows us that it is not virtuous for us to have power that we do not possess and then try to abstain. But when we have the power and we choose not to use it and we become humbled onto that point of being misunderstood, there is virtue. There is what he's called us to. That is what he wants us to emulate and follow. They shall know that you are my disciples through your love. Jesus decided, you know what? No angels are going to show up here on this Good Friday. On that night, he exercised self-restraint by relinquishing his miracle to secure yours. Can somebody say amen? And that leads me to the next verse that I just want us to observe here. Just one little thing. Notice verse 54, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? As hostile hands apprehend Jesus, Jesus says, could I escape being taken? Could I sidestep this whole conviction process and all the unpleasantries that are going to lie in store for me and follow? But if I do, if I sidestep this, if I escape this, if I make my grand exit in this moment, How will the scriptures be fulfilled? How will the scriptures be fulfilled? On that Good Friday, we see that a prayer is missing. We see that there's no angels in sight. And we see that there is no escape. There's an escape missing. Up through that night already, so many of the scriptures had been fulfilled. So many scriptures in the Old Testament had been fulfilled and made evident, and they all pointed to Jesus. Throughout his life, throughout his ministry, we're seeing prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled. From the Old Testament, all the way from Genesis, all the way to Malachi, there are promises being fulfilled. Scriptures that foretold about the manner and the place of his birth. Where he would live, where he would flee to, the miracles that he would do and perform, the places that he would visit, even the very method and how he would be betrayed, and the amount of money that would be given to the betrayer. All of this has been fulfilled already, but you know what? The greatest of his prophecies, the greatest of his purpose, the greatest of his mission has not yet been fulfilled, and so if I escape, how will it be so? How will it come to pass? You know what? I I stop and I contemplate. You know, the great prophecy of Hosea. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol and I shall redeem them from death. How will that come to be if I escape this moment? What about Isaiah? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All like us, all of us are like sheep, gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own ways. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. How will that be fulfilled? And if at this moment I pray to my God, I call down the angels and I escape from this trajectory. How? How will it be that the words of Joel will be fulfilled and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? See church, the greatest miracle of Good Friday is the miracle that did not happen. The miracle that by him denying himself what he had the right and entitlement to receive, he purchases and accomplishes for us a miracle that has been the greatest thing ever fulfilled in human history. There's no technology, there's no innovation, there's no invention that will ever surmount to the greatest miracle that was when Jesus said nothing and did nothing, and went willingly. That night, our Lord was betrayed into the hands of sinners, but please don't lose sight of the precious fact that he did so willingly. He sheathed his sword for our collective benefit. It was only for you and me that Christ endured the afflictions. It was only for you and me that he became the great sacrifice for sin. It was only for you and me that he surrendered himself as the great propitiation of our salvation. His life was not snuffed out by a power greater than himself or something superior than his being. No, for the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross, despising its shame. and. That is a fact that at any moment in time could have been different. At any moment in time, Jesus could have changed his mind. At any one of those lashings, he could have said, Enough. I'm done. At any one of those insults and and, and abuses, he could have said no. At any one of the rejections from his people and the abandonment even of his disciples, he could have said no, this is too much to bear. He could have changed even upon that cross when he says, I feel like you have forsaken me, God, and I'm done. I don't want to go through with this anymore. Jesus could have changed directions, but yet he willingly bore our sins. He willingly died as our substitute. And tonight, church, I just want you to be enthralled by this idea as much as it's gripped me this week. As I've been contemplating to preach to you guys today, I'm just enthralled and I'm compelled and I'm fascinated and captivated at the idea that Jesus could have done so much on that day, yet he chose to restrain himself so that we could experience life. He chose to be bowed down and humiliated so that we would not be bowed out of salvation. He chose to say yes so that we could now say yes to the Father. A single prayer, a single angel and it would have set him free. It could have changed the outcome but he would not pray and his heart was set on redeeming me. His love for me was so strong that he said I'm going through with this no matter what. His love for you was so pure that he said no matter what what and I think that that deserves our praise that deserves our worship that deserves us not giving the rocks a greater platform than ourselves we deserve nothing he has given us given us everything God I thank you that you did not withhold from me your salvation. And tonight, friends, I want you to stand with me, and as we you know, conclude our service, that decision that he made to not pray, where we've seen him go and pray time and time again, that moment where angels did not come through, where we've seen them all throughout scriptures ministering, and why not minister to the Lord of hosts? That day when we did not see an escape from Jesus, but we saw him face head on the trials that would come, the pain and the sorrow, the rejection, the abuse. I want you to understand that all of that has purchased for you salvation. And maybe you have not experienced the love of God so passionately towards you. Maybe you look and say, why? Maybe he did that for someone else. Maybe he did that for that sister who shared a testimony and feels like she hears the voice of God and she feels feels that he is present and and, and caring for her needs. But maybe that's not me, God. That's not me. That's not what I've seen. No, let me tell you, he willingly laid down his life for you. For you. He willingly said that you are worth it. He willingly said that you, no matter the sin that you have committed or the sin that you will commit, all of it has been put under the blood of Christ. You are the ones he did it for. He did it for you. And so this evening, as we contemplate what Christ did, know that you're not a person that is too far beyond forgiveness. There is no person that he can't forgive. There is no sin that God, you know, we talk about the sin of blasphemy in the Bible as the only sin that, that is not forgiven. But blasphemy is not something that you do one time. That's the heart that has been conditioned and purposefully set against God and will not yield to him, that will not come to him. So there is no sin that God cannot heal, that God cannot forgive, that God cannot restore a person, because if we decide to say, hey, Lord, I, I come to you. I believe that you died. You, you gave your life for me as my ransom when you did not have to. You died for me, and so I know that you did so, but we know that Easter is also coming, and you're going to rise from the dead. Because you promise that every name, that every person that calls upon you by your name shall be saved. That you become the chastisement that brings us peace. God, these promises that you are fulfilling now on this Good Friday and through your death and burial and and future resurrection, I believe that it is for me. There is no amount of sin that you have committed before. And there is no sin that you could commit in the future. That if you just trust and say, Lord, I wanna align myself to you that he cannot forgive and cleanse and wash and redeem you of. Good Friday is only good because the Savior went to a cross and at that cross, he accomplished for us what no man could ever do. He shut down the mouth of of Satan. He closed up his mouth. He, He bruised the head of the serpent and he removed the sting of death from death. So if you have come to know Jesus, I want to reassure that. I want you to to just think about that again. And if you have not come to know Jesus and accept the miracle of his sacrifice, I want you to pray with me because the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that Christ is Lord, that he died, but that God raised him back to life again, then we shall be saved. So I want you to pray with me. I want to invite you to just pray this prayer whether you've walked away or whether you're solid and strong in the faith right now or you're coming to know Jesus for the very first time, I want you to pray this prayer and begin a journey and receive the miracle of Good Friday. The prayer is simple and I invite everybody to come and pray it with me so that we would know that we're not alone as we pray this and as we enter into a relationship with the Father. Say, Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world that he gave his life to forgive my sins and that he was raised from the grave so that i may have life i receive your grace by faith come into my life i will follow you amen and we celebrate that reality right now. Just celebrate the fact that we are alive in Christ and that he has saved us and redeemed us, that he has not dispatched his angels, but that he has gone to a cross to save us and redeem us. Jesus, we thank you. Father, may the reality of that day and the hope that it affords us, the empowerment that it brings us, not be lost upon us, God, as we contemplate tonight and we prepare for this Sunday. I pray that your love, I pray that your grace, I pray, Lord God, that your empowerment would be upon each and every person as they go from here tonight, that you would fill them with your hope. And God, I pray that you would wash over them in waves and waves of understanding and perception incredible love towards them in Jesus mighty name amen I invite you to just worship God as we conclude our service if you have any needs for prayers you're welcome to come and spend some time at this altar but may God bless you and fill you and encourage you as you stand in the truth of Good Friday God bless you